Welcome back to the Pomposity Diaries, dispatch number six. I am up to my neck in study currently, and not my preferred subject. The day after Aaron and Sandra's party, I had awoken early, attended to my ablutions, and was within a deep meditative state, having completed my Wim Hof breathing routine prior to my ice-cold shower, when my wifey brought me my phone and mouthed the name Aaron. Having received both barrels from him the night before, I steeled myself for another grilling. "'Aaron!' I exclaimed heartily. "'I really can't apologise in now. "'Ah, don't worry about that, mate. "'You've been told, so let's not hear any more about it, you pommy prick. "'No, no, I wanted to make sure you were making your way over to Dan Murphy's bottle shop this morning "'for your esky training. "'Well, I haven't balked, Aaron. "'There was no time for that.' I explained. No, no, don't worry about that. I called them on your behalf, and they have a couple of spots available this morning. Now, I didn't book you in proper, but they said you can just walk in, he informed me. What's all this going to cost me, Adam? I inquired. Let's see now. $150 for the training, 25 for the test, and another 50 for issuing the licence, he explained. $225! Oh, and another $25 for the registration. 250 So I can drag around an esky? I exclaimed. Fucking right, mate. Australian fucking Ike on the esky. Well, I can appreciate that, Aaron. Do you? Doesn't sound like it to me. Do you know how many lives are ruined through the improper use of a wheel-based pull-handle mobile esky? Or... How many handlers who haven't bothered to register their esky have gone on to lose it or have it stolen with no way of being able to report it? (laughs) There's even a bloody condition named for the serious depression it can cause the one in ten unfortunate users who succumb to it after the theft or loss of an esky. They call it the decimation. I don't know where they thought that up, but anyway, that's not the point. The point is... You must remember to get me and Mick a slab of crownies each after you finish tonight, all right? He demanded. Oh, well, if I must. Hang on. Did you say tonight? I thought you said I was to go in this morning, I protested. Well, yeah, you'll be there all day, mate. A lot to learn, he said. But I have a luncheon engagement with a highly influential member of the British Council, I implored. Look, mate, you're almost there, exclaimed Alan. Where? I asked. You've worked hard at integrating, I'll give you that. You've got the Aussie wife, a home on the Gold Coast, finest fucking place on God's earth to my mind, and you have an esky. All you need now is the competence and awareness to use it properly. Oh, and all the accessories that go with it, then you can safely say you're well on the way to becoming an honorary Aussie. Accessories? I exclaimed. Now, come on. I thought we knocked that whinging out of you last year. Jeez, you're a hard nut to crack. The purge is normally enough to convert anyone permanently, said Adam. Purge? What do you mean by the purge, Adam? I asked innocently. What? Oh, nothing, mate. No, no, no. Don't worry about it. Now, you better get moving and don't forget those crownies. I knew what the purge was. I just didn't want Adam to know what I knew. For many years, MI5 and the Twats had been slipping into the country sleeper cells to infiltrate the Australian society so a clear picture would emerge as to what made the Aussies tick. 
What was apparent in every emissary sent was a rapid decline in communication back to Blighty and a chilling change in personality brought on by the effects of exposure to what some would say is the happy-go-lucky, or rather, as I would say, lackadaisical attitude of the common Aussie. Other factors include the amount of time the sun can actually be seen throughout the year, endless white beaches, incomparable hinterland, surfing, fishing, dining, and of course the one thing that binds it all together, the grog, the bulls, the piss. My personal downfall. Needless to say, we lost many a good man and woman who could not help themselves and went native. Attempts at contacting them were useless. We could only assume that they had been assimilated into the Aussie collective. It got so bad that the Aussie purge proved to be more than a match for the training we provided our people. We sent them to Skegness to get used to the beach lifestyle, Snowdonia for hinterland training, the Orkney Isles for the surfing and fishing, and of course, everyone's favourite, harvested restaurants for the food and drink. None of them built up a resistance to the Aussie lifestyle and the resultant purge of British bulldog character that inevitably followed. So, soon after Harry and Meghan were married and it was clear their clandestine mission to win Canada back round was foremost in mind, the decision was made for one final surge to defeat the purge, and I was detailed to move down under and take on the battle single-handed. There was no one else. As head twat and flamer extraordinaire, with twenty-plus years of exposure to Aussie influence, having been married to one for that time, and therefore thought to have built up a natural resistance, albeit within the environmentally controlled conditions of dear old Blighty, I was not only the best qualified to take on the outrageous slings and arrows released upon our agents, but the only one left. So it was. I find myself on the threshold of Dan Murphy's Alcoholic Emporium that morning. As I walked through the automatic door and into air-conditioned bliss, spellbound by the variety and volume of product available, I must have appeared as if in a trance, for I was interrupted by a member of staff who said, "'Ain't it beautiful, mate? Just beautiful.' "'It's quite a sight, yes,' I answered. "'You stockin' up then, are you?' he said, pointing to my esky. What's on the cards? Fishing trip? Barbecue over the weekend with mates? Or just an almighty fucking piss up? He said, as he roughly poured my shoulder in an attempt at jocularity that jarred me somewhat, and rather provoked than endeared me to the man. <laughs> Sadly not, no. I I'm here for the esky awareness training and competence test. I explained. Ah, oh, you're the Pomeza was talking about. Well, my name's Wayne, and I'll be taking you through it all today, mate, he explained. Well, it's a pleasure to meet you, Wayne. I understand we have a lot to get through, so where do we start? I asked. Hold your horses, mate. My smoke is coming up, can't miss that. I'll only be ten minutes. Why don't you have a look around and see if there's anything you like the look of, he suggested. Oh, all right then, I said as I pulled up the telescopic handle of my eski and moved off to see what wonders I could discover. Stop right there! Wayne suddenly thundered behind me as he clapped a heavy hand on my shoulder. That is a clear breach of eski handling protocol, mate. You'll leave me with no option but to administer a fine. 
by the power invested in me as an accredited ESCI competence and audit officer, I hereby declare that you have inappropriately attempted to operate an ESCI without the correct licence. That's a $150 fine payable immediately. What? I exclaimed. I'm sorry, but as a learner, you always need a person of competence to supervise you whilst operating a mobile ESCI, explained Wayne. But you were right here, Wayne. And surely within the confines of the testing centre, I'm to be afforded some mitigation, I pleaded. Look, mate, you need to be mindful of Esky law, or you're going to come a cropper. To my mind, a short, sharp shock is going to do the trick. And if you accept this penalty charge, then I won't check the CCTV coverage of you walking in here which will probably show you in breach of the aforementioned law and therefore force my hand to issue you with another fine. Only one life left after that, mate. Three strikes and you're out, responded Wayne. I see you have me over the proverbial battle, Wayne. Will you do me a favour then and take my esky lest I do any more damage? I asked. Can't do that, mate. I'm officially on my break. Like I said, $150 payable immediately, please demanded Wayne. No, no, wait, I countered. I wouldn't dream of taking up any more of your break. You run along now. Good point, he said. But I'll need to collect as soon as I'm back or we can't continue. Is that clear? Crystal, I replied icily. Oh, and as I'm keen to avoid the risk of esky theft and I'm precluded from moving said item, I take it that I am to remain here until your return? And therefore, can I ask if it is considered within the law to use my esky as a seat? I inquired. Poor form, mate. It would be highly frowned upon. No, best you pick it up by the recessed side handles and carry it around with you. Just make sure that pull handle's safely stowed beforehand. See you in ten. Fifteen minutes later, he returned with FPOS point-of-sale unit in hand, ready to collect the $150 fine and $250 charge for training, testing, registration to e-ski license issue prior to starting. Transaction completed, we resumed the shared purpose of getting me over the line and acquiring the esteemed e-ski license. I was brought to a small room with no windows and fluorescent lighting which flickered and buzzed like an electric flytrap, ceaselessly killing its prey. With my back up, no air conditioning, and my nerves beginning to shred, I was handed a weighty book entitled Eski Theory Testing Essential Learning. Right, said Wayne, sit yourself down there and get reading, why don't you? Aren't you going to present this material to me in some way? I asked. I can't do it for you, mate, said Wayne. And so I began. It felt like I was wading through my GCSE syllabus all over again. The book was split into modules. The main topics were as follows. 1. Pull handle usage and telescopic safety protocol. 2. Lid maintenance incorporating beverage recessed spot care and use. 3. Wheel upkeep, stroke maintenance and replacement. 4. Correct load volume and storage of beer. 5. Temperature control. 6. Spatial awareness and your e-ski. 7. Parking. 8. Maximum and optimum speeds of your e-ski. 9. Three-point turns and rights of way. 10. Essential accessories. Gloves, thermometer, ice packs, stubby holders, spare wheel, ramp for vased curbs, doubling as a jack for wheel maintenance and replacement, and e-ski toolkit. 
11. Suspension options for beer safety and correct CO2 non-excitation control measures. 12. Drink and dragging. The consequences. 13. General safety tips. 14. Registration procedure. I was in there the whole morning and then some. After lunch, I was set loose on my e-ski and applied all aspects of the knowledge acquired under close supervision by Wayne, clad in correct PPE, including high-vis vest, e-ski gloves and steel toe-cap boots to protect against, and this is the book's term, not mine, podiatrical injury. (sighs) I worked like a dog to achieve success. When the clock struck six, Wayne brought an end to proceedings. Well, I inquired, do you issue me with a license or or do I need to visit Queensland Transport Office for it? I jokingly asked. No, no, said Wayne. I can issue you with one here, no problem, he said. Fantastic, I exclaimed. And with luck, I can do that for you in the next two days, he said. Two days? Two days? Why can't you issue with, with it me now? I asked. Well, that's how long the training takes, mate, said Wayne. I have to come back. Well, that's right, mate. Same time tomorrow and the day after. I was close to apoplexy, but managed to keep control. Remembering I had to get the beer for Aaron and Mick, I marched off to find the slabs in the coal store. I noted the crownies seemed more expensive than any other beer there when Wayne was ringing them up on the till. Two slabs cost $200 or thereabouts. I cursed Aaron, for I knew he expected not to pay for them. Still, he had done me a favour in alerting me to my ma- error, I suppose, so I let it go. Loaded the beer and the esky up in the car and drove straight to Aaron's to drop off the cargo. As I drew up... I noticed Aaron tinkering in his garage with the door up. Evening, Gobba, said Aaron, as I staggered under the weight of two slabs, that's forty-eight bottles worth of beer, towards the garage. Tired, I must say, Aaron, I replied, as he opened up the beer fridge and said, Just stack him in here, would you, mate? You'd better be quick, too. If Harry gets a sniff of those crownies, they'll be polished off too sweet, Aaron exclaimed. Harry is Aaron's eldest son, and has developed taste for the nectar and can detect its presence from vast distances. All right, then, I said, and set to stacking the piss in the fridge. I noticed there was a slab's worth of beer already safely stowed in the fridge and wondered at the capacity of the man for the liquid gold he so loved. Fridge now fully laden, I shut its door. Quick as a flash, Aaron snapped shut an industrial padlock through a screwed-in clasp upon the body and the door of the fridge. "'I have to make sure Harry is kept from it, you see,' explained Aaron. "'Look, mate, that's really good of you. You didn't need to do that,' said Aaron. "'But you asked me for it, Aaron. Your last words to me were, "'Don't forget the crown is,' I said. "'Ah, didn't Wayne tell you?' "'Tell me what?' I wearily asked. Well, whilst you were doing your theory reading this morning, I was passing and I thought I'd pick up the crownies myself, save you the bother. So I spoke to Wayne and he added the cost of two slabs to your tab for the day and I took off with the beer. Actually, you could do me a favour and drop off Mick's slab on the way home if you don't mind. I stood there, stunned. Was I hearing correctly? 
Had I just been scammed by a master, or was I at fault somehow? No wonder the beer was so expensive. I'd paid for four slabs, not two. And all of it bar one slab was locked away in his fridge. What the actual fuck, Aaron? I exclaimed. No, no, Wayne conveniently forgot to mention you came by. Now come on, open up that fridge and let me take some of that beer for myself, I demanded. Can't do that, I'm afraid, mate. Harry would be onto it in two shakes of a lamb's tail. Now, I'll let you know when the coast is clear, and you can come round for a drink with me then, mate. Fuming, I left with Mick's slab in the car and a further challenge from Adam ringing in my ears. Riled as I was and susceptible, I agreed to buying Aaron and Mick another slab each if somehow I failed my Eski test in two days' time, and if I passed, they would reciprocate. So, it's three weeks down the track, and I have failed the test twice now, and I'm on the eve of my third attempt, nearly $800 down, and bored to tears with Eski safety theory and manual handling protocols. And all so I can drag a fucking Eski when I desire it. I will keep you posted, but for now I am somewhat preoccupied, over and out.